I'm Amy Wagner. Welcome to the best of Simply Money. Each week we put together some of our favorite segments from the 55 KRC radio show exclusively for this podcast. Home prices are soaring in the tri-state, so what should you do with the home equity you've built up? Brian James, a CFP at Allworth and a regular on Simply Money, joins me to discuss the mistakes that too many homeowners are making in this hot real estate market. We also talk about Robinhood's $70 million regulatory mistakes and the growing student debt problem for retirees. Finally, I interview Dave Hatter, a cybersecurity consultant at Intrust IT, about how ransomware attacks are affecting our economy. Housing prices are on fire right now. So what should you do with the equity in your home? You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovac. Home prices are soaring, and it's not only affecting buyers and sellers. We're seeing higher property tax bills. Some of you may be considering unleashing the equity you have in your home. We've we've heard it all over the past few months. Joining me tonight, Brian James, certified financial planner on the Allworth team. He's a regular here on the show, as well as the 55 KRC morning show. You know, Brian, do you ever go on Zillow? Oh, yeah, all the time. I I use that to help people build uh, financial plans, understand what their, their housing is worth and all that. Have you looked at your own home? I have, and it is worth a fun amount of money right now that is completely unrealistic because, first of all, I'm not going to plan on selling anytime soon, so it doesn't matter. And it's I shouldn't say unrealistic. I guess that's what I could get for it, but the numbers yeah. are just crazy, aren't they, Amy? I actually looked at my house. You know, I had to do my research. I looked up my house today, um, and I bought my house this week two years ago. That's all. I've had it for two years, and the price has gone up 20% plus. All of a sudden, Over. we all live in Silicon Valley, don't we? Isn't it amazing? I know it's like San Francisco South here in uh, northern Kentucky right now. No, I mean, I think everyone is looking. I mean, it is fun to look up. It is fun to think about, okay, would I move? What would I do? Should I refinance? Lots of options for people um, during this time because what I'm seeing and you're seeing, we're not the only ones. Uh, in northern Kentucky, home prices rose 17% on average over the past year. Um, and the average sale price is up almost 19%. That's according to Zillow, too. I'm not saying that Zillow is, you know, dead on, but they've been tracking this pretty closely. And we think it's fun because every few weeks, if you get on there, it's up more and more and more. It's crazy. Yeah. And it is, it is, uh, the numbers are crazy, but it is rooted in reality because Zillow is a, it's an algorithm like everything is these days. And what it's really doing is it's taking, here are homes that are similar to yours, it's taking comparables. Uh, this size of a property, this many bedrooms, this many bathrooms, yada, yada, yada. Here's all the closed real estate transactions for those types of similar homes. And they're kind of averaging it out and saying, okay, your house looks like this, and therefore here's the dollar amount. So it is based in reality. And uh, we, we're hearing from people who are, are kind of getting into this and saying, okay, well, maybe we, we've talked about maybe sort of kind of moving, but we really kind of uh, tabled it. Uh, but now we're thinking maybe we should do it again. That, those are the people who are, who are really starting to think about moving forward, and that seems to be feeding the market. I also hear occasionally from people who, are, who weren't thinking about it at all, but all of a sudden the dollar signs have gotten their attention, and, and now all of a sudden they're thinking about it. And to me, that's a slippery slope. But we understand what they're looking at because the numbers, you know, uh, 17 and 18 percent Northern Kentucky and Cincinnati, but but in some place, it's even crazier than that. Sparta is a small area, but uh, the average price in 2010 was about $86,000. Now it's 246000 So Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about Sparta. So for those of you who have ever headed south on 71 toward Louisville, you go through Sparta and you go through it quick. 
Like there are just a few hundred people who live there. It's of course where the Kentucky Speedway is, right? And so the exit has built up a little bit. And over the past 10 years, a number of jobs have come to that area. And so um, the Kentucky Inquirer did a really interesting um, research recently on home prices in Northern Kentucky. And they weren't just looking at Boone, Kenton and Campbell. They looked all over the place. Uh, and what they found in Sparta was that in like 2010, the average home price was like $75,000. Now it's like $250,000 for the average home there. And in what's driving people there, well, of course, also this real estate market, but more jobs popping up in that area are bringing more people. And we're seeing this in a number of areas outside of big cities where people are saying, I don't need to live right in Cincinnati anymore. I don't need to live in New York, the Bay Area, whatever it is anymore. Um, I'm able to commute. I'm able to work remotely. And so home prices are going up in these areas. But to your point, Brian, when you get on Zillow and you look at what your home is worth now, that's only half of the equation. Because then the next question is, where am I going to go? Right. And what am I going to have to pay to get there? Even if you say, okay, I'm just going to take advantage of this and I'm just going to rent in the short term. Oh, well, you're not going to stay there either because rent prices in the Tri-State area are up 12% from where they were just last year. That's right. That's the ninth highest uh, uh, ratio in the in the nation, the, the ninth highest increase. So that's something where, it, and I think to your point, Amy, yeah, there we finally are seeing an influx of people, this is part of it, who have realized that, you know what, I just don't need to live in a big city. I can commute uh, electronically and deal with things there. Finally taking advantage of the of the low cost of living here in this area. That That is definitely a part of it. That's why this region is leading the area or leading the country in, in these types of, of real estate. So, But again, to your point, unless you're going to pitch a tent on public land, you're not going to be able to save very much because you're going to turn right around and have to spend all the money you gain selling your house on your next home. So if you can move in with mom and dad for a couple, three years until things cool down, if they do, then maybe it's a good financial idea. But most likely it's not going to be. So you probably ought to stay put. Well, I mean, okay, so your options, if mom and dad are out of the equation, and that, of course, is the best option financially. Sure. Okay, so rent, you're going to pay more to rent. You can build or you can buy. Well, it almost, you know, a year ago, I would have said, well, it makes the most sense to build right now. But now what we've seen is these crazy costs in lumber and building supplies and issues getting crews out there. I heard over the past few months what a lot of the big local builders are doing is writing into the contract, hey, this may not be the final price because if the prices of the supplies that we need go up within a certain percentage, we're going to have to increase the price. So you're buying a house, but you're not even quite sure what the price is going to be when it's all done. That's never happened before. Yeah, if you're building a custom home or something like that, uh, then you're always going to have, a, or at least an, uh, an intelligent, experienced construction uh, manager is going to tell you to build overage into the budget. That was always true. Now mm. it's probably twice as much for that exact reason, because you're signing the dotted line for something where they haven't even tur- turned over a spade of dirt yet. Uh, well, six, this doesn't have to months. be just for custom homes. This is for any home at this point, because, you know, I mean, these builders can't take a, you know, a loss on building a house if the supply, you know, if a lumber is going up week to week, day to day, whatever it is that they're dealing with. So, you know, that's an issue too. So I think, you know, as, as we survey what our homes are worth and as we look around and what are our options, um, I think some people are just saying, okay, let's look at the equity in my home. We can stay here, but what can we do with that? And that's, I think, where things get scary because the equity in your home is just that. 
equity in your home. And I think we've heard people talk about unleashing it, and there's all these crazy commercials out there about what you can do. But it's great when your home, as you purchase it, you know, the value goes up. That's the whole point of it, not necessarily pulling the value out of that house. Yeah, and this is something we hear about occasionally. As a matter of fact, just yesterday I had a, a discussion with a client whose parents were uh, were encouraging the client to put down roots and buy a home. This is a person who's a single, no kids, pretty stable person, and just had never decided to actually pull the trigger by home. Mom and dad are, are leaning on them to make this decision because you know it's just what you did. I yeah. I, don't, I don't I don't really think about it the same way anymore. I mean, I, I've been in my house for 18 years. We finished the basement. We've done new windows. We've done all the stuff. If I add up our purchase price plus all of the uh, investments we've had to make into it to improve it or just keep it upright. All those things, I'm probably never going to see those dollars again because all of that adds up to more than even what the Zillow uh, amount is uh, over over time. Even taking into account, but the don't you think it. people don't you think people overlook that all the time? I think it's so easy for us to say, "Oh my gosh, I purchased this house back in you know 2015 for X amount, and look what it's worth." And and you're like. It, it completely escapes you all the Lowe's trips that you made, all the mulch you put down, all the flowers you planted, all the upgrades that you made, all the insurance that you paid, all the taxes that you paid. All of that kind of flies out of your head at that point, and you just look at the numbers, but that's not the truth. I mean, we all invest in these homes because we live in them on a daily basis, you know? So I think it's really easy to look at, you know, oh, gosh, Jello says this. This is what I paid for it. What a great deal. Understanding that, you know, maybe not so much. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC as we talk about this white hot housing market and the options that are out there. You know what, Brian? I've heard from more than a few people who are concerned with these prices right now, thinking that they're artificially elevated like we saw in 2008, right? When the, when the bubble burst. And I want to remind you, this is not that. I mean, at that point, you had lenders giving people homes that they had no business right? I mean, they they could not afford those homes. And so there was these shady lending practices, which then all these people couldn't pay on those anymore. And, and we had all these foreclosures. What we're seeing now is simply supply and demand. Yeah, this is this is supported by a legitimately strong economy. We've got, you know, warts and all. We, we're not perfect. We never will be. But sure. we're in a much stronger position than we were 13 years ago. I was working in the banking industry in 2008. And I remember the mortgage loan sure. originators in the, in the years running up to that. I remember the the loan originators being a little bewildered by how easy it was to put loans in place. These are honest, well-meaning people, and all of a sudden the, the bank, which is publicly traded and chasing profit, was suddenly basically lowering the hurdles to get a loan in place. And I remember people being a little concerned about that at the time. And lo and behold, that's exactly what came what came home to roost. This is not that. This is simply people in a strong economy who are pent up, honestly. We've been stuck at home for at least a year, and that's going to stretch out a little longer. A little bit of YOLO uh, mixed in there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there, While there's a lot of people that have employment issues and other concerns like that, uh, but there's also another uh, group of people who haven't had those concerns and have spent a lot less money than they ever have before, and it has all piled up. And they're finally saying, you know what? I want that bigger home. It's just time to do it because YOLO. There's a lot of that going on out there. Well, yeah, I think you look at it, and in some cases, it's buying the bigger home. In some cases, it's buying a second home. Uh, you know, and, and that's where we want to caution you because I think there's people who, because of the pent up demand that we've had during this pandemic, because maybe you have a little extra money in your account and you're looking at the equity you have in your home right now, and you're thinking that thing I've always wanted to do now is the time. 
Well, it might be, but it may not be. And and before you go jumping headfirst into that, think through this, you know, long term uh, and make sure you're working with someone who you trust uh, to maybe point out any pitfalls in this that you haven't considered. Um, I talked to our real estate expert, Michelle Sloan, recently, and she was talking about how people are staying in their homes now longer than ever. The average used to be like five to seven years. Now I think the average in the tri-state is 10 plus years that we're staying in our homes. So, you know, there's less supply on the market right now. And when you look at that, uh, I think it's, you know, gives you these ideas of the things that you can do. One thing to think about, too, you're going to pay more in property taxes right now. Yeah, that's absolutely true. These are all the prices that add up. So if you're considering this, the second home or the bigger home or all those kinds of things, the question to ask yourself, and especially your spouse if you're married, is if I regret this in the future, why will that be? Walk yourselves through that discussion and think through. Come up with reasons. You're just doing a list of pros and cons. Come up with reasons. If I'm mad about this, it will be because X, Y, Z happened. If you can't come up with anything, then pull the trigger. That's like great marriage advice, not even just on what to do. That's with most your... of my job, Amy. <laughs> Brilliant, Brian. I love that advice. Here's the simply money point. Home prices, they are soaring, but it doesn't necessarily mean you should use your home your home's equity for other investments or make a decision during this time that isn't in your best long-term financial situation. All right, well, $70 million in mistakes. You've heard of the crazy popular trading app Robinhood. Well, that's how much they're now paying to settle huge regulatory allegations. You know, Brian, when this first came, they made such a, a huge bang in the market because it was free trading in an app. It was so easy, right? Why would anyone need to have the traditional accounts anymore? Well, this has played out in an interesting way. Yeah, Robinhood is an app that 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 purports to bring the little guy to the trading pits of of the uh, the major exchanges and Unfortunately, it's not that simple. Um, what what they ran into was simply overcommitting. Having not tell me you heard this story before, overcommitting to yes. what what their actual promises are. Everything works fine as long as the markets are functioning normally. Things are great. But then when you have things like a COVID pandemic we've never seen before, and then all of a sudden meme stocks become a thing, which is nothing more than market manipulation by anonymous sources who will never be uh, you know <laughs> held to account for it. Sure. But it does drive trading activity. And Robinhood has to focus on the same rules of liquidity as your the largest exchanges out there. And that's what they ran into. They were unable to maintain the ability for people to get in and trade their accounts because they just never built that infrastructure. That's what happens when you're trying to build a tiny little firm for, for, for smaller investors. You run into these risks. Well, and, and think about it. Most of us will never trade on margins. We'll never trade or buy a stock with more money than we have. Yet, yet, Robinhood made all of these kinds of risky trading opportunities available to the common investor, but then they didn't have the infrastructure built up to keep up with the demand. So in some cases, um, you know, imagine, Brian, like looking at your account one day and you're on this app all the time and it says you owe Fifty thousand dollars, and really, you're you're up twenty five hundred, or you owe five thousand dollars. I mean, they're giving people heart attacks. You know, I mean, it's, it's crazy the kinds of things that went wrong with this. And you know, going back to the beginning of what could possibly go wrong here, right? We're we're we're, we're making this available to the masses, just like Robinhood, and this is how we've seen this play out in, in so many ways. And I mean, slapped with the largest fine Finra has ever fined uh, any trading um, app or anything like this because of what's happened here. 
Yeah. And, and this all comes from, you know, I hate to say it, but, it, but it, it all comes from people swinging for the fences, trying to make that one investment because we all hear the stories of so-and-so who bet on crypto and made a bazillion dollars mm-hmm. or, you know, like a million years ago, it was got Netflix, an on GameStop. Yeah, got an on yeah, GameStop exactly. and made a ton of money off of that. And we all think it's just that simple. Well, what we don't hear about is the people who did it wrong because they don't talk about it. Nobody goes to a cocktail party and talks about that penny stock that they bought that they really shouldn't have and all their money has gone to poof. So, uh, but, but what they were doing is uh, they, they didn't have the infrastructure in place to approve investors for these risky types of strategies that they were taking on, such as buying uh, buying stocks on margin, which, which simply means you borrow half of the investment that you're going to make. Well, you got to pay that back at some point. And if the stock you bought drops by a major amount, well, then you can't use those shares. You got to go get it from other resources that you likely didn't have in the first place, which is why you were trying to swing for the fences. So this is why we always encourage people, look, don't start with trying to, trying to hit a home run in the markets uh, as, as the basis of your investment plan. It's just not going to work. Or worst case scenario, it'll work nine times in a row and then you get blown up the 10th time. Start with a financial plan. Understand what you have and what you need. Not with uh, how, how do I think uh, uh, I, I may be able to solve all my financial problems overnight if I simply find the right stock on the next Reddit sub. Well, and I think to your point, Brian, a good financial plan is taking the least amount of risk possible to get you where you need to go. And I'm sure there's a, a lot of you that are like totally shaking your heads like, well, heck no, I would never. This is stupid. I would never do this. Have your kids? Have you talked to your kids about it? Because this is my concern. They are probably surrounded by people who are talking about getting rich off of Dogecoin or cryptocurrency or whatever it is, you know, jumping in on these forums. And these forums, in some cases, will tell your kids, you need to place a YOLO trade. You only live once. And this is taking everything that you have in savings and and, and betting it. And understand, this is gambling on one company stock. And, And there's all kinds of stories about people who've gotten rich off of these things. And to your point, Brian, the stories that aren't out there is the probably hundreds, thousands of more people who've lost everything. And this is my concern about Robinhood and apps like this being so accessible to kids who are just getting started, just starting to make paychecks. Yeah. And and it was as simple as with opening this app, you're simply checking a box and saying, yes, I am of the right age to to uh, to own a brokerage account. And the states vary, but uh, it's either 18 or 21 that you're permitted to open a brokerage account. Um, But there's nothing stopping you from lying on the app about your age just to get the money moving. So it's not that simple to get it opened, but it is possible. So, yeah, there are probably enterprising people out there who think and a lot of us have this in the back of our minds. I'm smarter than the next person. I need to do my research and I'll be fine. But it just doesn't work that way. Here's a Simply Money point. Free stock trading. Well, it is never really free. If you're close to retiring, you may be facing a new problem that wasn't maybe such an issue 10, 15 years ago, handling student loan debt. Joining me tonight, Brian James. He's a certified financial planner at Allworth, a regular here on the show, as well as the 55 KRC morning show. You know, Brian, 20, 30 years ago, someone who was getting close to retirement probably never even thought about student loan debt, yet now um, there's almost 9 million Americans over the age of 50 who've got some form of student loan debt. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and we see this. This this walks into our doors every now and then where, you know, somebody will, will, will come in wanting to retire in the next three, four, five years, need a plan, and we'll go through, do all the normal stuff, what your 401k look like, what your budget look like, so forth. And then they'll come out and they'll say, oh, yeah, we have this student loan out there. And on average, Amy, these are about $44,000. So it's not it's, – it's, it's 
doable, it's but it's also not significant amounts. Yes, exactly. This isn't a couple thousand dollars worth of credit card debt, and uh, so student loan debt is definitely a thing. And it's also it's not only the, the interesting thing to me. And I remember back in back in my day when when there were Parent Plus loans and, and those kinds of things. But a lot of times I'm seeing people who were career changers, and it's their own student debt that they have well into their 50s, if not 60s, that they're working on paying off because they change careers in their 40s. Well, so it is true. I mean, now there's tens of thousands of people who are not scheduled to pay off those loans until they hit their 90s, right? And and maybe in some cases it was career change, but in a lot of cases too, these Parent PLUS loans make me nervous because often you're taking them on when your kids are going off to college. You don't want them to take on any debt. I get that. Brian and I are both parents too, right? We want to set our kids up for the best possible start in life. At the same time, I'm also acutely aware of the fact that I'm getting older and older and hopefully closer and closer to retirement. So, you know, I take on this debt, uh, you know, as I'm approaching my 50s and all of a sudden, um, what I should have been putting aside more money in my 401k toward retirement is going to student loans. This is a slippery slope, and I think a lot of people are falling down it. Yeah, and it, it looks attractive, you know, at the, at, at the outset when you're when you're first looking at what are my options to pay for school. Well, I can, you know, if I don't have the the funds to do it myself and I don't have the income, well, then yeah, the Parent Plus thing looks looks attractive as well as the regular Stafford loans and all those other things because they have things built into them. They'll they'll kick in deferments whenever we go into some kind of crazy situation like we just had a year ago. They all put deferments in place, and it looks like okay, this isn't going to be too painful because I can. Uh, there are ways that they'll they'll make it easier on me if I if things get too tight. But the problem is that just results in the snowball, Amy, where it never gets paid off. You know, people are deferring, people are still deferring things now. And all that means is they're avoiding penalties. They're not avoiding the interest that has snowballed on them. They're simply not getting, it's all deferment is. It just simply means you're not going to get a, a late payment on here. So, and this is actually for, for the, the amount of student loan balances for people over 50 is actually twice what it was just four years ago. And again, that's got a lot to do with it, the deferments, because uh, the, the dollars that were not paid down now, if you think about how compounding of money works, the dollars that were not paid down over the last 12 months have now increased as a result of the inflation. So it's definitely something that uh, people have to, to, to deal with in terms of uh, can they pay their bills during retirement if that's still going to be hanging out there. Well, and understand this. This is not the kind of debt that you can shake off. These are federally backed loans. They're almost never discharged in bankruptcy. And if you are getting close to Social Security age, if you're thinking about claiming anytime soon, I have some horrible news for you. If you owe money to the federal government in the form of these loans, they can take up to 15% of your benefit if you are defaulting on that loan. That's a, that's a horrible wake-up call for people who are getting to that age. It really is. And because of that, that's going to, you know, there's already concerns about Social Security anyway. Everybody's got them in the backs of their minds. I do sure. think some of those are overblown, but that's a different discussion. But then when you hear about the possibility that that Parent PLUS loan you've had out there or your own student loan forever could reduce that Social Security check even further, then, yeah, this becomes a pretty daunting exercise of going through to figure out what can I, you know, what are my options here? And then those Parent PLUS loans, you know, you and I have talked about this offline, Amy. These things are scary from a standpoint of, the way they're structured. So interest rates oftentimes can be four times as, uh, as much as your standard federal loans. They've got origination fees because there are banks behind them. 
you know, make no mistake, there are organizations out there who benefit from students and parents owing money to the universities. Universities have spent money willy-nilly over the last century uh, growing and expanding, and really nobody has pulled the reins in on them. These loans are also based on the parent's credit score, too. So that means it will eventually have an impact on other things you might want to do if that's hanging out out there. That could be, you know, buying the retirement home or refinancing your house. There's just so many moving parts. It's not necessarily the quick solution to paying tuition that it might seem. Well, I think these look like a just an easy fix. But here's the thing. Let's back up from this. Have the conversation with your kids about what they and you can truly afford. Even if this is the school that they've been wearing the T-shirt since they were three years old and they've always wanted to go there. If it's not something that your family can afford, it's not something that you can afford. What is their major? What is their passion? What are their interests? What is a good local in-state school? Maybe they have to live at home. These are difficult conversations to have. But parents, you have to set the expectations now. Or on the flip side, when your kids do get that amazing education from that amazing school and get out and they're starting to work, you're going to end up living on their couch because you have no money set aside for retirement. Here's a Simply Money point. Think before you borrow, whether that money is for you or for your kids. You know, we keep talking about these crazy big ransomware attacks and the impacts they're having on all of us, whether it being a a gas pipeline or a meat distribution place. Now we've got one of the largest hacks we've ever heard from. This is an affiliate of the notorious R Evil Gang. Joining us tonight with what we need to know is Dave Hatter, of course, uh, our cybersecurity consultant at Intrust IT, professor at Cincinnati State, good friend of ours, our tech expert, Goodness, Dave, it just seems like there's just a wave of these that are coming now. Yeah, Amy, unfortunately, you're spot on. You don't have to look too far in the news to find one one example after another yeah. of these ransomware attacks. And I think you know there's, there's a lot of reasons for it. But the most fundamental one is these guys are making a lot of money. Um, you know, if you look at the folks behind the Colonial Pipeline attack, the dark side ransomware gang, and I think it's important to point out, you know, when ransomware first got started, it was a small scale thing. It was typically targeted at individuals. You know, you're going to lose your family photos or stuff like that. You mm-hmm. know, they're going to ask you for four or five hundred bucks or something. Right. Then they realized, hey, a lot of businesses and in particular, small businesses aren't really adequately secured against this sort of thing. We could go after much, much deeper pockets. And then I think they've gotten even wiser over the way and said, okay, not only can we, you know, go after small businesses, we can go after businesses in general and anyone that's got any sort of critical infrastructure type aspect to it, any place where they're going to have an impact in the physical world, uh, we can probably get even more money. You know, you may recall, I think we talked about this a few months ago, the first death attributable, directly attributable to ransomware occurred last year in Germany. There was a German hospital hit with ransomware. Their systems were down. They had a patient in critical condition on the way to the hospital. They diverted that patient to another hospital. And unfortunately, they passed away along the way. So, you know, they realized that if they can impact businesses and organizations that impact the physical world, well, they're a lot more likely to get a much higher ransom. So, you know, they're making a lot of money. So let's talk about this latest attack, Dave. Who are the victims here? Um, the timing of it, what, what's, what does this look like? Well, you know, news is still coming out about it. So what you'll often find when these kind of attacks, you may recall with JBS, they said they didn't pay the ransom. 
uh, the Colonial Pipeline people said they didn't pay the ransom, and then we found out later they did. So, you know, when the news is still breaking on this sort of stuff, it's you got to just kind of take whatever you find at face value. Usually as forensics take place, they dig up more information and a, a different picture will often emerge before it's said and done. But in this case, this appears to be more of a supply chain attack, similar to what was done with um, uh, SolarWinds and their Orion product. Kaseya is a company that makes software tools that other companies use to manage their systems. It appears, and again, there's been a lot of conflicting information in terms of exactly what's happened here, but it appears that Kaseya was breached, and then the bad guys used this Kaseya software to hit companies that were using Kaseya to manage their systems. Again, similar to what happened with SolarWinds Orion. This has happened before. This category of software is called RMM. A lot of companies use this. Um, it, it appears to be similar. I don't think they used the exact same technique. The solar winds attack, it was very, very sophisticated. But it looks like they managed to infiltrate Kaseya somewhere or other, not clear exactly how yet, and then hit customers who were using the Kaseya software uh, with ransomware. So far, the latest headlines I saw, about 60 Kaseya customers were hit, and that leads to about 1,500 businesses that were either using the Kaseya software or... Um, companies that were using the Kaseya software to manage their clients. And, You're listening uh, to Simply Money tonight here on 55 KRC. We are joined tonight by our tech expert, Dave Hatter, talking about the largest ransomware attack we have seen to date. Details about it still coming out. But, you know, Dave, you're mentioning that often what happens is you own the software. You use the software for your business. So how can you manage this if you're a small business uh, who, who's using software and that company gets attacked? There's really not much you can do to protect yourself, is there? Actually, there's a lot of things you can do, Amy, and that's the good news. One of the things that has been shown very clearly from this attack is that when businesses take a layered approach, which is what nerds like me say all the time, you can't rely on any one thing, any one mm -hmm. piece of software, any one policy. Um, when you take a layered approach, there are advanced tools out there and, and policies and procedures you can implement that will help, if not block it, at least protect you from it and allow you to recover. You know, the whole gist of ransomware is your data is encrypted. You're going to pay this ransom. They'll also now often threaten to expose any information they could steal during the encryption process. So there, there is advanced software out there, endpoint protection slash antivirus software that has demonstrated they can block certain types of ransomware attacks. This one in particular uh, was demonstrated by at least one more of the more advanced antivirus products out there, Sentinel-1, that they could block it. They've got a video on their website demonstrating it. Um, so and the second piece, of course, is you got to have a good backup, and you have to have a ba backup and disaster recovery plan where you occasionally test your backups. If you do get hit with ransomware and you have a secure backup that has not been encrypted, well, you don't pay the ransom. You simply restore from your backup and go on about your business. And isn't that what so, we saw with JBS, the, the meat processing company, that they had the backup in place? It just took a couple days to get up and running? Well, it's interesting, Amy, because that's what they said at first. And then it appears later they paid the ransom. Oh. Uh, I kind of stopped following that story yeah. once they uh, said they paid the ransom. So I, I don't know exactly what happened mm -hmm. there. But originally they said that they were able to restore from the backup. It took them a while because think about it. In a large organization with hundreds or thousands of systems that are potentially hit with ransomware, you know, it's going to take a while to restore that and get everything operational again. Sure. Um, but, yeah, if, if you have a good secure backup, and I say secure because it's important, 
that you have some type of offline backup where an encryption ransomware type application can't get at that. Um, while it's still better if you don't get the ransomware, especially because in today's world, they'll steal your data and threaten to release it to convince you to pay the ransom. So you're going to want, again, want to have this layered approach with different products and tools, each doing its part to try to prevent these kind of attacks. But if you are unfortunately hit with ransomware, a good backup, one that you test periodically to make sure you can restore from it, is the ultimate defense because you can just restore and go on about your, I mean, you're going to have to clean the systems and so forth, but it's, Indeed, it's a lot your... less painful. What's your advice to employees, right? I, I imagine that, you know, my terminal, like, you know, red alarms going off, like, you know, breach in Amy's computer, breach in Amy's computer. How do I make sure that I am not the weak link here? Well, with this particular attack, there probably wasn't anything you could do as an individual because they subverted this software that was already installed on people's computers and used it as a conduit to get to them. But in general, you know, you want to make sure that you're following good cybersecurity practices. Understand that it's very easy to send an email that looks real or a text, right? Or anything like that. It's mm -hmm. easy to spoof things. Don't click links. If you get anything unusual whatsoever, you know, don't open file attachments. Just assume that anything you get is suspicious. Be extremely skeptical. Hopefully your organization has good endpoint protection software that's scanning these things. But understand, you know, the bad guys change their tactics all the time. Just because something, because an antivirus program could scan yesterday and find the latest virus, the latest new thing tomorrow, it may not find it. So, you know, to a large extent, we all have to be skeptical. You got to know that the bad guys are out there. They're making enormous amounts of money. They're almost never prosecuted. You are every tar every person, every company is a target. And I think the news continues to prove this, right? It's yeah. happening every day. These hackers... Yeah, these hackers are not lazy and we cannot be lazy in how we protect the companies that we work for, the businesses that we own. Great perspective tonight from Dave Hatter, our tech expert. You've been listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You've been listening to the best of Simply Money. Now, if you could do us a favor, send the show to a friend if you think they may benefit from it as well. At All Worth Financial, we help you retire better. 